everyone and a very warm welcome to morning worship for the fourth Sunday in Lent. Wherever we are this morning, we welcome one another to this time of worship and a special welcome today to Will. It's lovely to have Will joining us from his home in Glasgow rather than from North Carolina as he normally does. So welcome Will especially today. Our service this morning will be led by our Minister Katrina, but we'll also hear the voices of Grace, Emma and Lena. Our musicians this morning are Paul, Ailey, Yang Yang and Leo. And in just a moment, Esther and David and their family will light our candle. Then at 7pm this evening, we gather again on Zoom for evening worship. And this week that will be led by Brian. This will be the fourth in our Lenten series of reflections based on the musical Hamilton. And again, just a wee reminder that our Lent appeal on behalf of Glasgow City Mission uh, will be open throughout Lent uh, until Easter Sunday. You can donate just by clicking on the link to our Just Giving page, which was in this month's key and will again be in next month's copy of the key. Uh, just a couple of bits of family news this morning. Uh, just to let you know that Lily is expecting to leave hospital today, all being well. And COVID continues to cut a swathe through uh, the church family. George and Drew uh, have now tested positive and there may well be others who've yet to, to let us know. So we're thinking of all of you uh, at this time. But uh, time now for Esther and David to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
And so let's pray together. God of the mountain and hill, we lift our thoughts upwards, focusing on the supreme mystery of who you are, beyond naming or counting, defying conventions of gender, age, race or status, yet willing to allow each of us to imagine you in a way that is helpful for us. And for that, we offer thanks and praise. God of the valley and the plain, we allow our thoughts to spread outwards to the beautiful yet messy and messed up world of which we are part. Where naming and counting conventions of gender, age, race or status, allow us to define and delineate who is us and who is them. And for that, we offer regret and remorse. God, beyond geography, beyond definition, we listen for your voice in silence and in speech in story and in song, asking that as we worship, we may feel the warmth of your love. And as we reflect and go on to respond, we may become a word of hope to those we meet. These prayers we offer in the name of our friend, teacher and saviour, Jesus. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Our reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 18 to 22. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And we continue with verses 28 to 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendour talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was to bring to fulfilment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Over 
recent weeks as we've been doing this short series of silent witnesses, one of the things that perhaps has struck me more than ever before is just how many supernatural things are recorded in Luke's gospel. I've always known they were there, but I've never particularly stopped to realise just how many there are. Right from Jesus' conception, at the time of his baptism, when he's on his own in the wilderness, you get these signs that this is no ordinary person, that there is something more going on. And this strangeness continues after Peter saying who he believes Jesus to be, as Jesus, Peter, James and John go up an unnamed mountain with the intention of spending time together in prayer. And we're told that at the top of the mountain, Jesus' appearance changes, where he's joined by Moses and Elijah. And I have commented time without number. How do we know it was them? We just have to trust that they knew. And Jesus, Elijah and Moses have a conversation. Peter tries to respond to what he's seen by suggesting that they build a series of shelters. And then the clouds come down. A voice is heard announcing Jesus to be the son of God. So it appears that we have six men on the top of a mountain. Four of them speak, but only the words of one of them, Peter, are recorded. Two of the men, James and John, are silent. They are our silent witnesses for this week. And I find myself wondering, if we could interview them, what might they have to say? My name is James, and I'm one of the brothers whose names are always recorded together in the Gospels. All our lives we've been together, and it has always been pretty lively. Plenty of scraps and squabbles as we were growing up. Often strong opinions or robust conversations, as people might say. Yet we loved each other deeply and longed for the other to flourish. Some people refer to us as the sons of thunder. Well, you can make of that what you will. But it's certainly true that either of us could roar really loudly and things do sometimes rumble on for ages and ages as we turn them over trying to make sense of them. And it's also true that sometimes there's a lot of noise and not a lot of substance. So given that, perhaps it's a surprise that we had nothing to say, that we were seemingly lost for words, watching what was happening before the fog came down. And after it came down, we heard, well, was it thunder or was it actually a voice? We knew we were really privileged being amongst Jesus' closest friends. And sometimes we even dared to imagine that we might have a significant role to play when he finally came into his own. But for the most part, there's no record of what we actually said. Maybe that is part of the mystery. That we were mostly silent, watching, 
and listening and wondering, but rarely commenting or reacting. So what did we see up there? What actually happened? To be honest, we cannot be completely sure. It certainly seemed real, though afterwards we would debate endlessly whether it had been a vision or a dream. But what is beyond dispute is that we experienced something really significant. If you'd asked us beforehand, if you were going to meet some significant people from the faith story from the past, who would you choose? Then it is pretty likely that Moses would have been one of the people, the one to whom the Torah was given on the top of a mountain shrouded in cloud. He is, after all, one of our most revered forebears, somebody who actually seems to have met God and to have spoken directly to God. And then there would almost certainly be some of the prophets. And in amongst those others, there would have been Elijah. And his story is every bit as mysterious as that of Moses. He seems to have spoken to God too, in ways that seem really quite unbelievable. There would have been other people too, people whose names are recorded and people whose names aren't recorded. To be honest, if we could have chatted to everybody we'd have liked to from our past history of faith, it would have been a very long list indeed. And so I wonder, who would you choose if you could pick just two people from your scriptures, apart from Jesus himself, to meet with? Why don't you just take a minute or two to think about that? And if it's helpful and you happen to have a pen or pencil to hand, just to note that down so you can think about it more later. But two people from scripture that you would love to have a conversation with. It's my turn to speak now. I'm John, the other brother. As James said, we're always together and we have each got big personalities and strong egos. So actually, we were feeling pretty full of ourselves as we began to climb up that mountain along with Jesus and Peter. The two of them were always a few steps ahead of us. Sometimes they were talking quietly and we couldn't quite hear what they were saying. And at other times, they just seemed to be sharing a companionable silence as step by step, we made our way to the summit and were ready for a rest. Of the two ancients who appeared to Jesus for a conversation, it was Moses that I would have liked to have a conversation with. His life was so varied and his personality so incredibly complicated. We knew that he had a temper. He'd even killed a man and then tried to cover that up and then had to flee away from his own people. We had heard tell that he possibly had a speech impediment 
a stammer or a stutter, perhaps. Or maybe actually he just wasn't very good at public speaking. But certainly he hadn't wanted to go and talk to Pharaoh. We'd marvelled at stories about a bush that blazed but wasn't burned up. And those awful plagues that had arisen as he predicted. And then there was the way that the Red Sea had opened just long enough for him to lead our forebears across to safety. Troubling stories, to be honest. Lots of innocent people seemed to suffer along the way. We knew that Moses had close encounters with God on the top of mountains. And we saw again that temper as he smashed the stones on which the commandments were inscribed. Oh, and then there was that time when impatiently he hit a rock with his staff to try and get water to come out of it. A very flawed and colourful character, certainly. And yet God chose him to lead our ancestors, knowing all that past story, knowing his strengths and his weaknesses. I found myself thinking about Moses the person who encountered God on a mountain. And as a result, his face had glowed so much that he used to hide it behind a veil. And now here he was talking to our friend Jesus, whose whole being seemed to be glowing. What did that all mean? It was strangely reassuring to recall that Moses was as flawed and fallible as I am. And yet to remember that God recognised within him something unique and special that made him glow. I wonder what it is in each of us that God might recognise as being so unique and so special that we might glow. If not literally and outwardly, at least inside, as we began to glimpse our own worth and our own importance to the story. So why don't we take a few moments now to think about the best God-given qualities that each of us might celebrate. And if you wish to, a weakness that you'd like God to transform, but to do so enjoying the gentle glow of the God who loves you and holds you safe. So it's my turn again now then, James. And I'd like to talk about the thoughts that came into my mind when I realised that Elijah was one of the two men Jesus was chatting to. We grew up as boys hearing all about Elijah's great successes, that competition of the prophets on top of the mountain where he called down fire from heaven, the time he raised the widow's son, how he trained his successor, Elisha or Elisha, depending where you grew up. And of course, that incredible and amazing and exciting story of him traveling direct to heaven in a golden chariot. The man who never died, the man whose life seemed so exciting. 
It was only as a grown man I began to realise that he was just as vulnerable as he had seemed invincible. Just as capable of despair and fear as he had been of confidence and courage. Strange, perhaps, that it was at his most vulnerable and despairing and on a mountain that he would have his closest encounter with God. Strange, too, that far from being in words, far from being the noise of an earthquake or the fire or the wind, it was in the absence of sound, in sheer silence that he would encounter God. Of course, you all have heard this story often. In your time, there is far greater awareness of burnout, of mental health and well-being. Although it is also true that even in your time, it often isn't recognised until late on, and sadly, sometimes too late. And not everyone in their hour of despair is aware of being visited by the God who shares the emptiness. I found myself really curious as to what Jesus might be talking about with Elijah, what they might be sharing. Is it just possible that it was something about the darkness, the sense of isolation? rejection and utter hopelessness. Might it be that in hearing what Elijah had to say, Jesus found something that would help him in what lay ahead, about yet which he, and certainly we, knew little or nothing. I find myself wondering what it is that each one of us might recognise in the story of Elijah that connects with our own experiences and our own feelings. I wonder if we've ever had moments when, to our surprise, God's nearness has been recognised only in God's apparent absence or silence. Why not take a few minutes now to think of a time when you've really struggled to keep on going? Whether that's keeping on going in faith or work or a relationship or, or anything at all. Where was God in any of that? And is there any comfort or encouragement to draw from that recollection. And so now back to me, John, one last time. We found it really interesting to hear what had struck each one of us, to share our recollections and our thoughts. Now, for one, it had been Moses, the flawed and frail man God had entrusted with the foundation of a nation after our forebears left Egypt. And the other, 
it was the prophet Elijah who experienced extremes of emotions. But perhaps what struck us most was that each of them had had significant encounters with God that changed their lives. And that the scriptures seem to tell their stories pretty much warts and all. It wasn't just the highlights and the good bits that were recorded. And now we'd seen them in conversation with Jesus, just days after Peter had said that he thought Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ of God. If encountering God had left Moses with a glowing face, this encounter that we witnessed had caused Jesus' whole being to shine, at least for a while. So maybe this too was a divine encounter. And if Elijah had encountered God in a wordless silence, perhaps it's true too that in our silence, our untold story, there is also a hint of our encounter with the divine. So that's it. Our story is done. We made our way back down the mountain, quietly pondering what we'd seen and heard and trying to make any kind of sense of it. And to be honest, all these years later, we're still trying. Sometimes we still quarrel. Sometimes we still have robust conversations. But on this much, we are agreed. Something happened that day that continues to affect our understanding of who Jesus is and why this story matters. What about you?
And so we bring ourselves, our bodies, our memories, our aches, our fears, our hopes, our longings and our dreams into our prayer of intercession. We start with ourselves because we often find that to be the most instant, the most understandable need. But we also realize how we often don't even know what we need and how often our needs are interconnected with the needs of others. And so as we expand our view, we pray for each other in our community. Those now with COVID, those recovering, those suffering from other injuries or experiences that are troubling, difficult, exhausting. We think particularly of Lily, Paul's mom, moving hospitals soon. And we pray for those who are on our prayer calendar for this coming week. Our managers, trustees. For Nasi, Sal, Nikan and Nikiar. For Lilias and family. For Marit and Tom. For Alan. For Edith and Tom. For Bethany. For Emma and Drew. For Jane S. For Wendy. We pray that you would encircle these, our friends, with the sense of your presence, with the hope that comes from you. And then as we, think, as we think of our Scottish Baptist family, we pray for those who are on the Scottish Baptist Union prayer calendar. We pray for Jared Meenan, NHS healthcare chaplain in Aberdeen, for continued strength for all staff to care deeply for others alongside the practice of self-care, flowing from a growing awareness of God's love for all. We remember Coastline Community Church in Pittenween, who have seen new folk come to be part of the family and their community support work over COVID has given them a deeper sense of community presence. And so they ask for wisdom and practical support as they plan ahead to deepen these community and church family relationships.
We pray for Codebridge Baptist Church, who remember with thanksgiving the ministry of their most recent pastor, Gilmer, and his wife, Catherine, who retired following 20 years of ministry in Codebridge. We pray for those who are taking on responsibilities at this time, and especially for unity in the fellowship at this time and for God's leading through this time of vacancy. We remember also our brothers and sisters in Collydean Baptist Church, Glen Rothes. We give thanks for them as they seek to be your hands and feet in their community. As is our custom, we also remember those serving at BMS World Mission. And this week especially, we pray for BMS's mission in Chad, particularly with medical partners, projects and personnel in two sites near the capital, N'Djamena, and the northern town of Bardai. We pray for these ministries in Chad, that they'll be able to help people living in extreme poverty, and that those who serve there as health workers would be blessed by God's presence, God's strength with them for each task that they face. And merciful God, we cannot not think of what is happening in Ukraine. We continue to pray for peace as this unjust, senseless, cruel war continues to rage. We pray for those in hiding, those searching for safety. We pray for those who chose to stay so that they could serve those who couldn't leave. For medical workers as they attend to the injured. For children surrounded by confusion and chaos. For those journeying to new lands, having left behind homes and loved ones. For all who are providing welcome, protection, and sustenance to those who had to flee. We pray for journalists who risk safety to report on daily events. And we think of those in Russia who bravely advocate for peace. Pray for the work of diplomats and international organizations and all those discussions taking place amongst world leaders. We pray for all grieving.
And as we pray, we're invited to hear the words of one of those who chose to stay in Kiev and alongside the rest of his team from the Evangelical Seminary of Kiev continue to distribute food amongst the most vulnerable. This is what he wrote just a couple of days ago. Keeping your mind clear and your heart preserving good intentions is a great luxury and a great challenge in our time and in our situation. I pray that we might avoid those who incite hatred, destruction, who dehumanize others. And instead, stay with those who call things what they are, even if it is painful, even if it causes internal discomfort and is unpleasant to hear. Truth will pervade over lies. Good will overcome evil. And light will overcome darkness. As I write this, he says, yet another intense siren howling interrupts my thoughts. God, take care of Ukraine. Take care of all of us. Take care of our minds and our hearts. Give us the courage to go through it all with dignity. And preserve our humanity. Our Lord, help us to pray these words with our brother. Help us to embody these words also in our own lives, in whatever ways we might do something for the alleviation of the pain, for the strengthening of hope and comfort for those who deeply, badly need comfort. Help us to trust in you, God. Stay with us, we pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Amen.
And so may the Christ whose glory was glimpsed on the mountaintop, the God who is encountered in word and in silence, and the spirit of wisdom and of grace, be with us all in all we are and all we do, now and always. Amen.